First uh, Corinthians, the seventh chapter. I think we finished up the sixth chapter. First Corinthians seven. And while you're turning there, I mention this to you. You know, we talk about all these various translations of the scriptures and how just they change a little bit, leave out a little bit, and all that. Huh? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, the, the uh, 1901, they had, had the American Standard Version. And then in 1952, they revised that. So this now is the RSV, the Revised Standard Version. But you know who authorized that? Was the National Council of Churches. But anyway, you know how in Genesis, the first chapter, it says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Specifies the first day. But you know what those versions say? And the evening and the morning were one day. Say, well, that wasn't much. Well, you stop and think about it. How many one days has there been since the beginning? Every one of them. How many the first day has there been? One. You know, so these changes are not insignificant. All right, in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now, <coughs> Paul's going to teach on marriage and divorce and remarriage. In this chapter, uh, Jesus taught about it in Matthew 5 and 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Paul also taught about it in Romans 7. But now, you can't take any one of those in exclusion with the other two sections. You must read all of it and put it all together. And not many people do. They take one, if they find one verse that suits their fancy, they go to seed on that one verse. And they end up resting scripture. Uh, now I wrote a thing on this. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 7. But first, I'm going to do this. Now you can get a copy of this if you want it. Some of you probably already have it. I wrote a, an article or a message on First uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Uh, I went through that in disciplines. I'll do the church discipline. I'm going to do it with this one. So First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days or times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits 
and doctrines of devils or demons, teachings of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created, to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. <coughs> For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And now I'm going to stop there. Now, I have uh, interpreted this myself like I've never heard anybody else do it. And I'm not trying to be something special, but I think I've got the context of it. So, in times past, any time any brother would come across that verse, and they read that pretty often just for the first verse of it, but to go on with it, uh, they get that verse 3, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. They just said, that's all Roman Catholic. Well, now that, that does fit Roman Catholics. But they're not the only ones. <coughs> so, in my introduction here, in my article, the title, the title of it is Preaching Doctrines of Demons and Trashing God's Servants. Now, I've had several preachers say they wanted to discuss this with me. But they somehow have never gotten time to do that. So they had a few questions about this thing. But I've never had anybody to rebuke me with the scriptures over this article. Now, so I start off with, uh, lest we deceive ourselves, we really need to make sure that we're preaching God's truths and not man's or ours or worse, Satan's and his demons. The danger is there, that is why we must prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Jesus warned against traditions and doctrines of men in Matthew 15. Paul warned much against fables and commandments of men, but he puts the cap on it with this warning to not give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. But then one step beyond this is when we pick up their doctrines and begin to preach them from the Lord's pulpits. And that's what's been being done for a long time. Now, oh, I've got some other things. I don't know whether I'll read it all or not. Anyway, the natural man perceives not the spiritual word of God and its teachings. And so there are lots of people that have a zealous religious activity and doctrines but not according to the word of God to their own to their own teachings now the Holy Spirit uh, spoke and expressed on the subject later times by the context must mean a present as well as future danger it was a danger then as well as now future in the future he declares that there will be a degree of success by the demons using the hypocritical, 
satanically branded preachers for some will depart from the faith. The specific areas of demon doctrines are two, marriage and physical nutrition. Now that's kind of unusual for Baptist preachers to say that. But he said, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Well, that's, those are the two areas, marriage uh, and physical nutrition. Satan seeks to destroy. His name is Apollyon, and that's what that means. In, anything or anyone that is God's or that can be used in God's service. Now, on the physical nutrition, humans must eat to live, shouldn't be living to eat. Some do, but shouldn't do. One of the basic and necessary nutritional components is protein. Now, in uh, Brazil, I spent a little time down there. Not a lot. I'm not an expert on Brazil, but I saw lots and lots of people. <coughs> and I noticed that... Especially out in the interior, a lot of the Brazilians are very small, very slight people. Well, there's a reason for that. Because they don't get much protein in their diets. They do real well if they've got rice. And if they've got a little meat of any kind to put in that rice, it's really rare. So without protein, there's death. And the fact is, we talk hear people talk about vegans being vegetarians, uh, most, most of us just don't, don't have the means to juggle around foods to make up protein from vegetables. You can do it. They tell me that beans and cornbread are complete protein. Well, not many people eat beans and protein or cornbread now. We love them, but anyway... So without protein, there's death and at least weakness and sicknesses. The masses of people can only get enough protein from animal sources. Though people with the knowledge and means can do very well on a vegetarian diet, but they still have to juggle it around where, they get, where they're getting the protein. Because we have to have, our organs have to have protein. We have to have it. And still most are not capable of this. When a Religion like Hinduism begins to espouse vegetarianism, and they do. As a holy quest, there will be much destruction, and there is. Many have done this for various reasons, but to forbid meat, animal protein with authority is to destroy one's ability to function physically, which becomes spiritual. Now, you notice, right now, uh, in the last... Two or three years, I can't, what's his name? The big guy, the big money guy, uh, richest man in the world. Bill Gates. Huh? Bill Gates. Gates, try, buying up all the cattle ranches, trying to put, make it illegal to eat meat. Well, that's absolutely demonic inspired, devil inspired. That's what that is. Why would he be doing that? Because how did he get all that money? He made a pact with the devil. It's obvious. If, if the devil could offer Jesus the world, he certainly offered Gates whatever he's got. <coughs> anyway, so 
Uh, now that's about the physical nutrition part. And that's not over with now. That's still continuing on. And all these idiots that get out and protest, no, oh, you, you're eating, uh, eating chicken, you're eating uh, cattle, you're eating hogs, you know, uh, murdering all them animals. Uh, that's the reason we've got those animals. That's what they're, what they're here for. We're not to abuse them, not to, not to mistreat them, but that's what they're here for. We need to be as humane as possible with them, but that's what they're here for. Now, the second area of demonic doctrine is marriage. Well, the very basic need of man is to not be alone. You go back to Genesis, the second chapter, and you find out God made man, made Adam from the dust of the earth. This literal truth. And he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he made out of the side of Adam, he made Eve. Because Adam couldn't find an animal that could be a companion to him. Uh, that's perverted. But God made Eve. And that is, marriage is a commitment of companionship. Yes, there's a physical act in there, and Paul deals with that <coughs> in 1 Corinthians 7. That's all part of the need of a man and a woman. But beyond that, there must be companionship. And so the man is what the woman needs, and the woman is what the man needs. And in a marriage, they are to supply that for each one. That's what that marriage contract is all about. Now, Paul teaches us that the way to avoid fornication is marriage. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, we just read that. And so... <coughs> There's a need. People have needs. They have, and they're normal needs. When it becomes sinful is when they use it in such a way that it's not ordained by God. When it's outside of the bonds of marriage. Man and a woman. And so the way to avoid fornication is marriage. So Paul, uh, probably Paul said in Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And so, now, marriage is God's remedy for loneliness. It's God's remedy for family raising and sexual fulfillment. And number one, God blessed the institution of marriage in the beginning in Genesis, the second chapter. He put Adam and Eve together, and he said it's good. And then... Number two, Jesus blessed the marriage at Cana of Galilee with his presence. And number three, Paul states it in detail in 1 Corinthians 7. And in a word in Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable in every way because God ordained it. Now, therefore let us in every way honor marriage. It is not a second-rate way of existence. While the really spiritual way to live is celibacy. Celibacy is abstaining. A man refusing to have a wife or a wife refusing to have a husband. And so to, to remain aloof from sex. So when you deal with Roman Catholics, the pagans did it. The Roman Catholics do it. 
and I think there's a few others that have done it, <coughs> they venerate, that means praise, praise celibacy and denigrate marriage. In other words, you're really at the top of the spiritual world if you're a priest and so, so-called celibate or a nun and so-called celibate. And then those that are married, that's just a common way to live. So it's putting down marriage and elevating that which God said is not right. Anyway, monks and all of that, nuns, it's amazing. But the success of these pagan teachings has been phenomenal through, the, through history. They've always had people to adopt or adapt into that. But there's other things going on there than just that. They have spread into all areas, even independent Baptists. Independent Baptists have picked up those ideas from Roman Catholicism and paganism. And most of them assume that they are biblical. And they're not. Not at all. Much of what Baptist preachers and church members believe on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage is Roman Catholic and not Bible. And I'll stand tooth and toenail with any man alive on that. Very few have even bothered to study it out or even to discuss it. As a result, many able preachers, missionaries, and church members are sitting on the sidelines, coerced and told they can only fill the pews and financially underwrite the quote-unquote pure ones. Their lives, they are told, are just like scrambled eggs, and they can never be whole again. So just do the best you can, though you are living in adultery. I remember one time at Lexington Baptist College, Brother Brown was in chapel. Somebody asked a question, said, Brother Brown, is it true that if a man... Man and woman have been divorced and remarried. That they're living in adultery. Brother Brown cleared his throat. <coughs> that big brush mustache. Looked, looked the part. And now remember the question. If a man and woman divorced and remarried, are they living in adultery? Brother Brown's answer was, this is a physical impossibility. You get it? Though a very wise answer. Well, yeah, because that's what people, they throw those terms around as if they're super spiritual and, they, and they're, 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 they're perverted is what they are. No, they're not living in adultery. Anyway, Where am I now? We must realize that only Satan and his doctrine destroys and trashes God's servants. Even if they sin, God forgives and restores. If you think we have not acted like Romanists, have you not observed or participated in the forgiveness and restoration of a pastor or missionary who had committed fornication, maybe even multiple acts, over a long period of time, and yet one who has a divorce, and even for scriptural reasons, and remarries in the Lord, and that is according to scripture, is told that he has no ministry. 
Many have been told that they must not remarry or they will be rejected. That's what Revelation 12, 10, that's what Satan does, accuses. <clears throat> I'm not going to say who. I can. I've seen, I've seen pastors come to find out they've been having illicit relations outside of their marriage with church members, even been caught in motels with another woman and all that. And you know what? They're, this man was real popular. He had some of the older brethren come to him and to his wife. Said, now, sister, you can't divorce him. If you do, you'll ruin his ministry. As if he hadn't already ruined his ministry by committing adultery all over the place. They could accept that, but they couldn't accept the divorce. Because they're Roman Catholic in doctrine. That's exactly, that's the way the Catholic Church is. Anyway, so... This is preaching doctrines of demons and trashing God's servants, what I'm talking to you about now. According to Revelation 18, the Roman Catholic Church is the habitation of demons, foul spirits, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. In A.D. 1057, <coughs> Pope Hildebrand made celibacy Canaan law. That's the 11th century. The Romanists have dogmatically forbidden marriage, and yet they routinely forgive fornication, pedophilia, homosexuality, and abortion as merely venial sins, whereas marriage is a cardinal sin. And only the Pope can forgive it, and then the marriage must be forsaken. That's Catholic doctrine. But that's what independent Baptists are doing. That's what many of them are preaching. God says marriage is honorable and law, and even a remarriage is still a marriage. Now, don't call good evil or evil good. Now, a marriage can be dissolved by two ways. The death of one of the partners. That marriage no longer exists. Or divorce. Legal divorce. And that marriage no longer exists. Many tried to defeat honorable marriage by raising contradictions between Paul and Jesus. Boy, what a slippery slope. You cannot pit the apostle Paul against the Lord Jesus Christ. Or vice versa. It won't work. If we posit, that means put it forth that there's a contradiction between the writers of the Bible, we destroy God's holy word and thereby depart from the faith. I mean, there's a lot of people that have done this. A lot of people don't like the writings of Paul. They say he hated women. They make all kinds of accusations about Paul. Well, I believe Jesus, I don't believe Paul. If Paul's writings are not every bit as inspired and authoritative as Jesus, we might as well throw away the Bible. All right, so 
Now, I tell folks, there ain't no shame in being ignorant. You just got to cure, take the cure. Being ignorant, you take the cure, you find out what you're ignorant about. But when we refuse to grow in grace and knowledge, and I've known some, oh, we've not changed. Been here a hundred years and I ain't never changed. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you say you, you're not going to change, you don't want to change, you can't change, you're not saved. What do you think, what do you think sanctification is about? What is that precious doctrine we teach? The progressive sanctification. We grow in grace and knowledge. And we put off and we put on. That's our whole lives. Old as I am, I'm not done with that yet either. Anyway, so... Now I heard some say, well, I have my convictions. Well, so do the JWs, the Jehovah's False Witnesses. They've got their convictions too, just as wrong as they can be. Convictions are damning if they are not based on Scripture. If your convictions haven't come from the Word of God, you better get rid of those convictions. I said I saw an article that uh, boldly declared that the woman at the well in Samaria was the harlot of Samaria. Nowhere in the Bible does it call the woman at the well a harlot. Certainly Jesus does not. And what right does some smart-headed preacher have to call her to say that she's a harlot? She wasn't a harlot. I've uh, I read that passage and find no mention of her being a prostitute. She was a divorcee. And she was living with a man. Now, if this is a harlot, do you preach that all divorcees are harlots from your pulpit? Pastor, do you? You got a divorcee in your church? Got, yeah, I know you got them in your congregation. Do you get up in the pulpit and say, you're all a bunch of whores out there? You don't do that. You treat them like that, but you don't say that. Well, they're not. Do you still take their money? That wouldn't block them for putting something in the plate, would it? You'd, you'd accept that, wouldn't you? You couldn't accept them, but you'd accept that, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, would you admit them to the Lord's Supper? Well, I couldn't go that far. Well, what are you doing letting a whore take, take the Lord's Supper? The whore, a whore, a whoremonger in your congregation taking the Lord's Supper. And you know they're there. You can't deny it. Well, we need to weigh our words and consider what we're doing, especially when we casually malign a human being especially a brother or sister in Christ. I think this is some Phariseeism among Baptist preachers before we trash God's servants. Remember on the cross, the, he, the uh, inscription on the cross was ordered by heathen. It was scribed by heathen Roman soldiers. And yet that was rejoiced in by the believers. None of them said anything. The only ones who wanted to trash it was the religious Pharisees. They wanted to get rid of it. Anyway, I'm going with this. Got unanswerable issues. I don't believe you can. I don't believe you can bring any scripture and contradict them. The Old Testament declares that remarriage is not only permitted, but assumed in a divorce for both parties. Deuteronomy 24. 
somehow these fellows that, that, that do all this false doctrine on marriage and divorce and remarriage, they, they go to Deuteronomy 23, but they never make it all the way to Deuteronomy 24. Look at Deuteronomy 24 real quick. Verse 1, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Now this wasn't adultery. If it had been adultery, she and the man she committed it with would have both been stoned to death. Some uncleanness, I don't know what it was, but it could have been anything. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement. That means a legal divorce and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. Now, I, they never read that. They skip over it. They ignore it. What has happened, that divorce has dissolved that marriage. It's no longer a marriage. And both of them are free to remarry. Now, and if the latter husband hate her, verse 3, and write her a bill of divorcement, give it in her hands, send her out of his house, the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. That's over with. That marriage has been dissolved. Uh, now, Verse 5, when a man, and that's the man we started with in verse 1, hath taken a new wife, see, this is a new wife, uh, he shall not go out to war. Neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. I think I know the reason for that. I don't know what happened in that first marriage. But he can't go to war for a year. He doesn't even have to go to work for a year. He stays home with his wife and gets acquainted with her. And they become one flesh. And there's a lot more chance of that marriage working for life. All right, anyway, so... But somehow they never get to Deuteronomy 24. They, they go all around and never get there. They never get to Ezra 10 either. They just never get. <coughs> now, verse 2, or number 2 of unanswerable issues. The New Testament permits it in the exception closet in Matthew 5.32. If you are not up on English grammar, have someone check it out for you. Now, when Jesus said, except it be for fornication, that's an exceptional clause, and it goes with the whole divorce and remarriage. It goes with the whole clause. In 1 Corinthians 7, chapter, verse 15, 28, the word loosed means divorced, not death as one tried to make it, and does not specify guilty or innocent. Now, let me read those verses. 
1 Corinthians 7, 15. Well, I'm in chapter 5. Well, I'm not even in 1 Corinthians. I'm in Timothy. It would help if I get back to 1 Corinthians, wouldn't it? 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. We'll get into all this when we get verse for verse here, but this is a marriage where one, either he or she, is a believer. And their partner, their marriage or mate is an unbeliever. That could be he's a believer and she's an unbeliever, or she's a believer and he's an unbeliever. But if it's, it's telling her not not don't leave if if she'll stay with or he'll stay with you. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. <clears throat> I don't know what the problem is with this couple. One of them's a believer and one of them's not. And it evidently is a big problem, and many times that is a great big problem in a marriage. And she or he does not have to stay yoked up with an unbeliever that is doing everything to try to stop him or her from serving the Lord. They're not under bondage. That's the same word for slave. They're not under bondage in such cases, all right? So, verse 28, or 27. Art thou bound unto a wife? That's married. Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now he says that because, in verse 26, the present distress. If we're under persecutions like they were you got a wife and little kids you're not as free to take your stand for the Lord as if you didn't have them and it's not saying they're bad they're not bad but they exist and you got to take care of them and you got to consider them and that's very 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 hard to do so he says because of the present distress it'd be best to remain single now don't don't try to divorce just to be single. There's no, just remain if you can. But, verse 28, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. Well, the Catholic Church, 90% of Baptist preachers and Baptist church members tell you that you've sinned. If you're divorced and you remarry, they all do it. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. He got some other things in here, but I'll get those later. But now, the word loose means divorced. Now, I read this to, to a, another preacher, a pastor one day. Verse 27, art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. You know what he said? That means de dead. No, you idiot. It doesn't mean death. It means divorce. 
It's amazing, just amazing to me. Well, and it does not say the, the guilty or the innocent party. Yes, there can be a guilty and an innocent party in a divorce. It is not true that there's always both of them guilty. I'll tell you one marriage and divorce where there wasn't but one guilty, and that's God and Israel. Israel was guilty and God wasn't. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, but the woman at the well, the heart, they called her the heart of, of Samaria. She wasn't a harlot. Uh, she had, Jesus said, you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. He didn't accuse her of anything. He said, you've had five husbands. He didn't say you never had a husband. You've had five husbands, and those are the words of our Lord. And I don't care what Dr. Hogjaw says, he ain't smarter than our Lord. <laughs> anyway, point number three. Job had a wife, and I say she was a lost woman. I believe Job was a saved man. I believe Mrs. Job was a lost woman. Quickly, I'm going to run out of time. Uh, Job 2. Now, if anybody wants to copy this, I'll get them a copy. Verse 9, then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. That's what his wife is telling him to do. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Now look at Job uh, 19. And verse 17, here's what Job says about his wife. My breath is strange to my wife, though I entreated for the children's sake of mine own body. Now, what had happened? All of Job's kids, ten of them, had been killed. Various things, but they'd all been killed. It was all happened at one time. And that's when his wife really turned against him. He said, now, I entreated for the children's sake of my own body. I know she accused him of not caring about the kids. And that's why he said, I did, I entreated for the children's sake, for the Lord. I entreated the Lord for my, our children's sake. It did bother me. But my breath or my spirit is strange to my wife. Breath and spirit are the same. My spirit is strange to my wife. How can anybody feel like that? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How can anybody feel like that in the face of all that tragedy? 
of everything happening, coming down, just curse the Lord. She did not know his spirit. She was a lost woman. And at the end, the Bible says that Job, and I believe he got another wife and gave him ten more children. I don't believe for a minute that that same woman came back to him and they restarted a family and had ten more children. God gave him another wife because she walked out of that one. Uh, I quoted Henry Morris in his commentary on uh, Job. He mentioned, he said the same thing. No reasonable person could could imagine that the same woman came back and bore him ten more children. And uh, one preacher was preaching in the conference here. He he read that uh, what I said. And read this, and he got up and said, "Reasonable person, my God, he is unreasonable." I said, "You're welcome to that God, buddy. My God's not unreasonable. Come, let us reason together." Well, he, really, because he he's so Pharisaical and uh, hateful on this. Anyway, now <coughs> Ezra ten don't have time to go there. The 10th chapter of Ezra is necessary to read. This is one huge example of God commanding his people to divorce their wives and children because of their paganism. Nehemiah also contended with it. Nehemiah 13. Read those chapters. Not, I, I dare say there's not very many preachers alive that's ever preached the 10th chapter of Ezra. They're afraid of it because of what it says. And there God said... God said, divorce them according to the law. Well, anyway, because the law did, did provide for it. Jesus gave the New Testament equivalent in Matthew 19, 29. And, uh, and what it says, it says, if any man hate not everything, but he's also got in there wives and children and forsakes them all for me, he's not worthy of me. Preachers will... If they ha have to read that verse, they will ignore wives and children. And I want somebody to tell me, well, I I've got to read that. Matthew 19, real quick. Matthew 19. Matthew 19. Here I am. Verse 29. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, shall inherit everlasting life. You've never heard a preacher ever expound that verse, every word of it. You never have. Now tell me how a man could, in a godly way, forsake a wife and children. I can tell you, just like Job, if, if she is an enemy of God, she's not saved, and she's living in paganism, he must forsake her for the Lord. That's all. That's plain and simple. All right, and then 
uh, God promises great reward for doing so. If divorce itself is sin, there are no innocent parties. How then is God divorced from Israel? It is true that God is a divorcee. Isaiah 50, Jeremiah 3, Hosea 2. If you don't want divorcees in your church or pulpit, then God must not be there. Malachi is used to attempt to, uh, to refute the above. It says God hates putting away. What God hates, if you read the context, what you find out there, God hates for a godly man to put away a godly wife. Or it would work the same way. A godly wife putting away a godly man. That's the putting away he hates. Uh, I can think of some I've talked to in my office. And he said, no, she's a good godly woman. And you're putting her away. Yeah, to go to, to, go to a heathen. I said, you're, you're judged by God. And he ain't done any good either. You're judged by God for this, buddy. You got no right to do that. And that's what God is talking about in Malachi. And by these preachers thinking out of their own heads, preaching their own doctrine, they are denying the truth of Scripture to many people. Anyway, uh, if divorced and remarried people are living in adultery, why do you then take their money and permit them to take the Lord's Supper? I, I have yet to ask... They have one answer that to me. They want to answer it to me. Uh, in this respect, how are preachers and missionaries different from church members? Well, uh, the Apostle Paul was on the Sanhedrin. Everybody agrees with that. And you read in McClinic and Strong, I've got the article here. Uh, you had to have a wife and children in order to be on the Sanhedrin in the, in the uh, Jews' religion. Paul had a wife. And children. And he lost them all. He lost everything by serving the Lord. Uh, Then he also tells us that he had the authority to lead about a wife, but she had to be a sister in the faith. If he had wanted a wife, he could have taken one. But she had to be in the faith. But he chose not to because of the present distress. Then 1 Corinthians 7, we've been in there. If God says remarriage is not sin, then how can a man be punished for not sinning? 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications of a pastor. Husband of one wife. I was in doubt about that for many years. But it finally, it just it has to be this way. That is not saying one in a lifetime. It's one, uh, one wife, man, now. Uh, and if you're legally divorced, that divorce, that marriage no longer exists. Yeah, I know you're divorced legally, but, but in the eyes of God, you're still married. That is the biggest lie right straight out of hell. Besides that, it's just plumb stupid. No, but the same law that binds you, the same law looses you. So, husband of one wife, that is against polygamy. More than one wife at a time. <coughs> if you have more than one wife at a time, you got no right to be a member of a church because you're a bigamist. That's right. Legal and scripturally, once divorced from a spouse, they're no longer married. Uh, anyway, 
marriage is a human contract, and all human contracts can be broken. So I say be careful that you're not preaching or teaching doctrines of demons by warning people to remain unmarried or to stay in unscriptural marriages with the threat that you and others will reject them and deny them useful service to God. Remember that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Do not trash God's servants and don't preach doctrines of demons. So that's, I'll finish with that. We'll get back in 1 Corinthians uh, 7 the next time. Uh, so 